Well, hello everyone. Welcome to Jan's third online class. This class is on presence with deep relaxation. It's his principle four of his 12 guiding principles of natural relaxation, uh, natural liberation. <laughs> I apologize for that. Um, this uh, online teaching is being recorded. It'll be available in, on vimeo.com forward slash way of nature uh, about 24 hours after this recording ends. And it's also available on our podcast through Spotify, Google Podcast, Inker FM, and several other ones. When you go to listen to the podcast, just search for our way of nature podcast channel. And if folks are very interested in what John is teaching and would like to know more, please go to our wayofnature.com website for more information. And I'm going to begin uh, posting our online classes on our website, too. We haven't done that yet. And um, it, we're still in the process of refining our online classes. Uh, so with no further ado, let me introduce you to John Milton, the, the founder and CEO of Way of Nature, and he will lead us through a deep practice and teachings on presence. Thank you, John. Thank you, Cindy. So uh, I guess that's my signal to jump in. Yes. <laughs> Take it away, John. Okay, <laughs> That's a good signal. That's there. <laughs> well, it's great to see so many old friends and students uh, here today. Um, <clears throat> the previous uh, online teaching focused uh, quite a bit on uh, relaxation and the role of relaxation in opening up a profound level of presence. And uh, so today I wanted to focus a little more on the presence aspect. It's the fourth of the 12 principles of natural liberation. And uh, <clears throat> it's one very close to my heart. I'm going to do it a little bit differently than I've done it with some of you before by tying it pretty clearly and directly into connection to nature. Um, I think I said in the previous teaching that there's a, long history of material out on nowness. In fact, many could argue that the contemporary opening of a lot of the meditative focus that we have today in modern Western culture started with a little book called Be Here Now that uh, Ram Das published many, many years ago. It's kind of a classic of its own kind. And of course, it really put uh, gigantic stress on really entered into a state of, of profound profound nowness. And then that was followed up with another um, <clears throat> initiative that uh, our friend from Germany published called The Power of Now, Eckhart Tolle. And, uh, and that really took the principle of nowness into kind of into the big time in the West. And then uh, another small group of uh, old friends and students, uh, Peter Sengi and Joe Jaborski and Lady Sue Flowers um, <clears throat> and Otto Sharmer published a little book called Presence a few years back. And much of that book was actually uh, prepared while they were out here doing some work here at the Sacred Land Sanctuary and with yours truly. So I had a, 
a wonderful chance to see it unfold dynamically and in a sense be, be a part of that book. So here are three volumes that have really emphasized presence in a very powerful way and brought presence into uh, sharp focus for modern contemporary culture. The, um, one of the reasons that we begin with relaxation is that in these teachings on presence, there's a tendency to, and nowness, there's a tendency to forget about the, the feminine partner in the process, which is, is really the process of relaxation. It's very hard to be fully present unless the, the being is completely open, relaxed in the state of receptivity. Uh, it's very difficult if the blockages and the shadow aspects of our beings are being uh, dominated by a contractive state or a series of emotional blockages. Uh, in our last session together, we focused quite a bit on how to work with the release of blockages at the level of the physical body, at the level of the energy body, at the level of the emotional body, at the level of the mental body, the thoughts and habitual thought patterns that we tend to hold, and then at the level of the ancestral patterns that we often bring in from our family and uh, uh, broader networks that we're connected to. And then finally, the karmic patterns that are brought through from previous lifetimes. So we're working with uh, particular blockage aspects in our advanced training over the three-year period, working with all of those levels from bodily to energetic to emotional to mental to ancestral patterns to karmic traces. It's, uh, it's been quite a journey. A few of you here are part of that training, that, that three-year training. And um, a lot of it is focused on really helping to remove the obscurations that stand in the way of being fully present and in the now. And of course, the, the journey of the way that the way of nature provides is really a connection to what we call the three natures, outer nature, inner nature, and true nature. Outer nature is really a focus predominantly on the, this vast web of being and existence and, and uh, the big family of the rest of life, the part of that really are brought into being. Um, I think uh, these days we're becoming more aware of the importance of becoming responsible members of that bigger family and how to do that. The inner nature aspect is the, the way in which we take this beautiful experience of being in outer nature and uh, also coming into this lifetime and with the, the, the experience of all the different fields of the senses of the mind, of the emotions, all the activities and experiences that make up this extraordinary lifetime that we're part of. We call these the nine experiential fields in the way of nature, and we work with them in a fairly dynamic way as a focal point for meditation, not to deny them or push them away, but to actually embrace them and see them as a vehicle for connection to between inner nature and outer nature and ultimately by following them back deeply enough to open up to nature. So the inner nature aspect uh, covers things like the sight, sound, taste, smell, touch, uh, balance and movement, the display of the energetic patterns and aspects of our, our being like the chakras and the meridians of the body. And then of course the, the emotional dance of life and the mental 
thought patterns that uh, are all tied into into the rest of our existence. So we work with these, we call these the nine experiential fields because they provide a foundation for the experience of life. And most cultures honor in some form those nine fields of experience as a foundational way of uh, what this life is all about. And they have various ways to uh, assign meaning to the to those nine fields. But if you look at them in a very pure sense, uh, they boil down from our standpoint to these very simple, clear uh, experiences that make up the basis of our lifetime from birth to, to death and beyond probably. So <clears throat> in the process of coming into real connection to our true nature and following all of these experiences of life through those nine experiential fields back into our true nature, which is a pure, formless, vast, boundless, unborn, undying, pure awareness aspect, pure consciousness aspect. Part of the challenge is that we're so filled with uh, blockages and complexities that obscure that fundamental true nature aspect of ourselves that uh, part of the challenge or the invitation of this lifetime is to release some of these fundamental blockages and obscurations, which then make it much more feasible to open up a taste of our true nature aspect. So, and this is found in virtually all of the great traditions, this, this process, this pattern. So the beginning of the path to really opening up the three natures, a connection to outer nature, really honoring and refining inner nature, and the nine experiential fields, and then beginning to have access to your true nature. All of that really begins with mastering relaxation and the release of the blockages. And then at a deeper level, that begins to give you the opportunity or the invitation to drop into the beauty of pure nowness and pure presence. Uh, <clears throat> but to drop into pure presence without clearing away some of these blockages is very challenging, very difficult. So. We put a lot of stress in our earlier sharing uh, on the relaxation principle as a precursor to really developing proper presence or really honoring the experience of presence. I wanted to say one thing about presence and maybe I'll show you, uh, we recently published a little, a little volume entitled uh, Cultivating Natural Liberation. And the fourth of the principles of natural liberation in uh, in that volume, we call these individual sheets leaves from the way of nature. And there's, a, there's one that came out that um, I'll try to hold up so you can see it a little bit. I'll try not to get too close so you can't see it properly. I bring it in a little bit. And you can see that on this side it says, be present, remain in now, while being totally clear and relaxed. So <clears throat> that's one side of this leaf. The other side is an image that uh, uh, Autumn, my partner, and a lot of the imagery of this, um, this beautiful image of a tiger. I spent uh, quite a few years living in Nepal. Uh, I see Bud Wilson is here with us today, and Bud and I spent some time in the Chitwan and some of the uh, the uh, tiger sanctuaries of lowland Nepal. So we get to spend quite a bit of time with this beautiful being, along with the rhinoceros, that is his, his partner in the, in the mountains there. If you gaze into those eyes, you're, you're definitely going to be present and hopefully not too blocked and too uh, 
filled with fear and, and that kind of obscuration. But there's great beauty in, the, in that uh, precision of the nowness that when you come face to face with a tiger or a tigress, there's nothing quite like it. Uh, when I was raised, uh, my folks had a, had a little book on the bedside table uh, their bed downstairs and the title of the book was uh, The Man-Eaters of Kumau, The Man-Eating Tigers of Kumau. So I picked it up one day and, and read it and it's a story of the of a man who spent his lifetime as, as a high commissioner for India going out and hunting, tracking and then hunting down man-eating tigers that had become uh, basically a diet of humans because they'd normally been shot, maybe injured uh, their, their mouth or their teeth or a paw or did some kind of an injury that caused the tigers to then turn into man-eaters because they couldn't take their normal prey, the, the deer and the cheetah, that are the main prey of the, uh, of the tigers in that part of the world. So they had to turn to something a little bit slower, a little more stupid, a little bit more, a little bit easier to catch. And that was us. So uh, um, when I read that book, I, I was just amazed. I said, one day I, I would love to go to the land of the tigers and spend some time. And so I ended up being able to do that. And I actually uh, had a few experiences with man-eating tigers, which maybe if we have some time, I can share some of those. They're very strong memories in my, in my background. But... Uh, Anyway, from that time, I, won I remember one of the things that happened, just one light experience that really brought about uh, an appreciation of presence, was uh, coming back from doing an interview with some of the, some of the villagers in an area of the, of the tiger range that we were trying to help get protected as, a, as an addition to the tiger reserve. The villagers living in that area were being, they had tigers coming in from, and rhinos coming in from three different directions and they were being overwhelmed. So we worked out a, a plan, we interviewed these villagers and worked out a plan to help them relocate to an area where they were really great problems. Uh, in doing that, <clears throat> uh, I had to go back and forth from the village to where I was staying over a river, the Rapti River and wait over that river uh, once or twice a day. And in crossing the river, I usually wore little uh, flip-flops. Uh, the river had a, a place there where there was a rapid and if you went through the rapid, they were less likely to be eaten by a crocodile. There were crocodiles above and crocodiles below. So the, the tigers didn't get you, the cro crocodiles would. But um, so I crossed the river at this point where there's a little bit of rapids and was able to make uh, make my way off to the other side safely. But one of the uh, flip-flops got pulled by the rapid current and flung away from my foot and was lost in the current. So when I reached the other side, I basically wasn't able to walk normally and have the speed I needed to get back to camp before nightfall. So I ended up walking back through these tiger and rhino trails through the tall grass of that terrain with this immense uh, tall grass over me. The, the elephant grass there gets to be uh, between 10 and 15 feet high. It's quite extraordinary. Not like the backyard grass in the garden. And uh, so you weave yourself your way through these tunnels in the jungle. 
and hope that you don't come face to face with a, a tiger or a rhino or maybe a, a king cobra, which all <clears throat> live in that area. So in as I was coming back through these tunnels through the grass, I heard the first uh, coughing roar of a tigress going out to hunt for the evening. And I knew that near our camp, there was a man-eating tigress that was, um, was uh, taking people that had already killed several hundred people. And to be out after dark at night was a very risky proper proposition indeed. So I, I tried to move as quietly as I could through the elephant grass. And I remember every single sense in my body became so precise, so sharp, so clear. Uh, I see Rick here. He was sharing a story about being with a bear not too long ago with me. And it was very much like that kind of an experience you might have with a bear uh, if you're not sure what their intentions are. So I guess you could say that uh, in this case, I didn't contract into helplessness. I, I simply opened to the clarity and the intensity of the experience that was arising in the now. And I knew in order to be able to perceive any any um, attack, I had to be have all my senses really sharp and clear, which meant I had to be completely relaxed, very open, and completely there with the reality of what was unfolding around me. And may, my life itself might depend upon being able to do that. If I surrendered into contraction and fear and become paralyzed, then of course it was all over. So it was, in a sense, this relaxation was a survival aspect. And fortunately, I was able to maintain that. I heard the coughing uh, roar of the tigress moving around me in the evening dusk. Fortunately, she never caught my scent trail. So I'm, I was able to get back to camp and uh, I survived that long walk. But I will never forget the depth to which I was able to drop into pure presence, given the gift of that man-eating tigress coming in and roaming around me nearby. Maybe if you're lucky, you'll have a chance to have an experience like that sometime. It's quite something. Highly recommend it. So, um, the, uh, I see Michelle's laughing at that. <laughs> I am <laughs> laughing too. That's hilarious. Yeah. So, getting back to presence. Um, so, if you've been able to develop a capacity to move completely into the now, of course, there is no other time than now. There has been any other time than now. All the basic ideas and conceptions around time and these, these timepieces that we wear, I, I like to keep time on my belt rather than on my wrist. So I have this little thing that dangles off my belt. But um, these, these things that move with us either digitally or in an analog sense, give us the illusion that time is real. But actually, if you investigate honestly, there is no other time that's ever existed except now. And then our memories and our history, the experiences, the way those nine experiential fields function in our lifetimes, give us memories that we then carry and we begin to give enough weight to so that we begin to believe that they actually are as real as the present moment and what's arising in the now. But actually what you're, what you're doing is spending some of the, the beauty of this present existence in the now 
remembering something in the past. It's still happening in the now. So in that sense, every, every experience of our memories of the past, our experiences of being in the moment, and our experiences about what we anticipate or begin to think about relative to the future all arise in the now. And once we begin to become aware that this is the fundamental truth of our situation, that this nowness is the fundamental truth of our condition, then it becomes easier to begin to guide our psyche into a complete surrender and opening and relaxation into the mystery of this nowness. And I, I love the fact that uh, one of the words for now is present. It is a kind of gift, the gift of the now, the gift of the, the basic present of the life itself that we've been given by the mystery of the cosmos. It's an amazing gift, probably the greatest present that we will ever receive. So the word presence is, is, is well put. It's a great present. So what I would like to share today a little bit is a way to work with this presence that works with our partners in the rest of the family of life in nature. I was just up yesterday. We have a beautiful place here called the Sacred Land Sanctuary. And uh, it's an absolutely gorgeous place. Right now the snow is melting up in the high mountains and the stream is rushing like crazy down below. So there's a lot of water. I think the trout are all in hiding, Rick. And... Uh, <laughs> But uh, it's, it, it was so nice to be up there with all the meditation seats and the archaeological sites and the beauty of nature just everywhere. And so I spent quite a bit of time just being present uh, with the trees, with the leaves coming out, beginning to come out of the, in the trees, and then the, uh, the black currents and, and red current that we have up there. And also with the stream. The stream is just so intense and so incredible. And one of my favorite practices uh, to honor presence is to simply sit by a stream and watch the water swirl. And because it's so rapid right now, I have a place up there where I, when I had my 22 year retreat up there, the stream would come down through this one area, hit a stone, and then swirl around this one rock in a whirlpool. And I could go down and jump into the stream naked and then take a nice whirlpool bath in that, in that surging current and then pull myself out onto the rock and lie in the sun, drying off in the, uh, on this beautiful large rock, flat rock that even had a little crease in the middle of it to hold my body. And that was my whirlpool bath provided by nature. Um, <clears throat> if you're getting a little lost in being uh, caught up in the thoughts of the past or worries about the future, I highly recommend jumping into a stream that's just come out of the snowfields. That's a bath you will not forget. <laughs> so again, that jolt of being completely in the cold, uh, the coldness of the stream and just instead of contracting against it, just opening to it. And it brings you precisely into the now. So I was sitting there and just enjoying, uh, in the now memories of the past in doing that. And um, <clears throat> another way to work with the water element is just to sit by a stream of that kind or any kind or any, any body of water and simply open your senses to the reality of that water in the now. 
the beauty of the way the stream flows down from above, the way it swirls in the stream, how it, if you try to find any moment where the form of the stream is fixed, it's impossible. The form is always changing. There's never anything that is constant in that stream that is not changing in terms of its form. And in the first principle that we have in the way of nature, we say that everything is changing in the world of form, everything is interconnected, and everything arises from, manifests from, or within, and returns to pure source or great spirit or the Godhead itself. All of this is arising as a pure creation from that pure sacred divine source. So when I was sitting by the stream yesterday, I was just enjoying being completely present with the precise way in which the stream was appearing, was looking moment by moment as it constantly changed. And of course, all the elements of the stream are totally connected. There's not one molecule of that water that's not connected with all the other molecules of the water. So it's one flowing organic being where all the drops of the stream are flowing in unity and in a state of continuous change and transformation. What a beautiful partner in meditation. And if you're lucky, maybe a trout jumps out into your hands and you can carry it away. <laughs> but uh, we have some nice trout in that stream. Just saying about that. So um, <clears throat> anyway, what I would recommend as a practice for you is if you have a body of water, a natural body of water, could be a beach, the crashing of the waves, the way the waves comes out of the beach, slides up the shore with a kind of hissing sound, then pulls itself back into Mother Ocean and is reabsorbed by the vastness of the sea. And each wave as it comes in, the curl of each wave is, even though there are certain similar patterns, it's never quite the same. It's always slightly different, slightly changing. The beauty of it is, is an ongoing, uh, incredible dance. So you can work with the ocean or a lakeside like that, or you can work with a beautiful stream like we have at the Sacred Land Sanctuary, or you could work with a body of water that uh, might be a tiny little stream or maybe even a pond. But there's still going to be little ripples in that pond, little could be small changes in the way the water appears. Maybe you can see if it's a still pond, the light flickering on the surface and the water shines and sparkles uh, with the, the small patterns that appear on the surface. But Water is so powerful as a partner in meditation to bring you into the now, because if you fall on how the stream just was, or how the stream might be, you've fallen out of being present. If you stay precisely with how the stream is in its form, moment by moment, you're absolutely in the now. And it can guide you in doing that. In the same way, you could take that same element and work with another one of the nine experiential fields. Maybe put your feet in the water, and feel that beautiful coldness or warmth if you're in a warm place like a tropical reef. But feel the, the contact with the water, feel how that's rising through the entire body, feel how you join with the water through the sense of touch. And you go through a whole process of first being separate and then being connected and then being more deeply connected, almost in a state of communion. And then you go through the process even deeper with that touch of the water of actually you and the water are one being in a state of pure unity. And then maybe you can go even deeper yet and you begin to experience all the other kinds of connection that you're making through the body, 
through your senses and you're beginning to feel like you're in the center of a gigantic mandala of perception and just resting in this beautiful changing, flowing, dancing mandala that you're part of in nature. So all that can open just through the gift of presence and being there in a state of pure nowness with no, no, uh, no, no distractions pulling you away to something else into the world of thought or, or emotions or, or other sensations. So there's a bit of um, discipline involved with this, but as you get good with each of the experiential fields, you can maybe work with, initially the sense of sight is probably easy to work with and really unify the way I just mentioned in that way, going through that first being disconnected, then connected, then in a state of communion, then in a state of much more uh, profound unity, then finally being in a kind of mandalic experience where everything is connecting into you. And then uh, finally, you can follow all of that experience of connectivity back into your true nature, into the pure source aspect of yourself. At that point, being deeply present in the now with the perception of the touch of the water can actually be liberating and enlightening. But it takes a little while to refine yourself before that begins to happen for most folks. So <clears throat> you're there with your feet in the water, enjoying the coldness or the warmth or whatever the nature of the water may be in terms of temperature. Then you might pay attention to the sound. I was listening yesterday to the way the water was, was roaring. Sandy uh, and Pradeep that I've been doing a few podcasts with were recommending that I go up and record some of the sound of the stream. So I pulled out my little cell phone to record the sound, but it was instead of being a really gentle little tinkle, as it might be in the late summer when after um, a dry period, um, instead there was this roar, kind of like a tiger, and uh, the roar was overwhelming and probably a bit much for a, a background sound for something that we could use to before we go into and as we come out of these uh, podcasts we're doing now. So I may have to go back up when the water is a little more gentle or maybe find a smaller stream to record next time. But you can be, after you've been with the, the beauty of the visual flow of the stream, and then you spend some time meditating with the touch of the water on your body in your connection process through the touch. Then you can spend a little time just listening to the magic and the beauty and the dance of the sound as it's displaying, whether it's a mighty roar or a gentle tinkle. But just being with the, the truth of how that sound is arising of that flowing water. Same would be true on the beach. I look, when I'm doing a a fishing quest along the coast of Baja, one of my favorite things is just to, to sit with the roar of the ocean and listen to that beautiful ebb and flow and crash of the waves as they come in and recede. I think we all have had wonderful experiences with that, but they can be, if you, if you give it, if you accept the invitation of what's providing, you can follow that deeply into being completely present in the now and non-dual in the sense, because you're not, you're not being caught up in anything else except the absolutely pure gift of that perception in that moment. And all the other perceptions that begin to come, become, uh, or fighting for having some time in your awareness, 
when you're first cultivating, I would recommend you just gently acknowledge those things coming in, those other perceptions that that would like to have some time. Honor them, uh, notice them, but just bring yourself gently back to the perceptual field that you're cultivating. That allows you to begin to deeply refine slowly, 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 each one of the perceptual fields. And so once having worked with the three main ones for most of us, which are sight and sound and touch, then you can begin to move into some of the other ones that are maybe not quite as obvious like smell and taste. The taste of the water, of course, is there's nothing like mountain stream water. If it's free of jarty, you can take a little taste. Or if it does have some jarty, you can do a bit of filtering and still have a little taste. And smell, I mean, the smell of fresh flowing water and all the negative ions that are bubbling up from the stream. You can go through the entire connection sequence process. The connection sequence that we use in the way of nature is what I just mentioned. Uh, first, realizing you're not connected, you're disconnected. Then through an opening and a relaxation and a surrender into the experience of connection, it begins to happen and you work with your power of intent to honor the kind of connection that you would like to dance with or celebrate in that moment. <clears throat> then you might shift to that deeper state of uh, communion if the connection, the experience has really gone deep. And then again, you go deeper and finally into an experience after you refine yourself enough of the experience of unity and union. And then ultimately, after you've had this experience with many of these perceptual fields and refined it at a very deep level, you might start having mandalic experiences of part, being part of a uh, an amazing sphere of these non-experiential fields. Now, as you go deeper through these initial five senses that we work with, almost all of us, you can then work with the more some of the more uh, maybe more subtle ones like energy or movement. We don't normally think of movement as being a, a field of perception that is uh, an opportunity for meditation. But actually, the, the, the sciences of yoga and tai chi and Taoist uh, internal alchemy all provide the gift of learning how to move in a sacred way where the movement itself becomes the focal point for being in the moment. If you're lucky enough to have that experience of being completely in the now as you move, that's an extraordinarily liberating experience. And it's one of the greatest gifts of, of um, both yoga and tai chi and uh, some types of qigong properly practiced. We created a system called Gaia Flow, which is an, a system of flowing in harmony with nature, having nature be the inspiration for much of the way in which we express our movement, we kind of bond with different beings of nature and then express those beings as partners in our dance as we go through the Gaia Flow experience. And we have an entire training process under Gaia Flow, but the entire thing is dependent upon being profoundly relaxed and deeply, deeply present with each moment, each iota of movement. And joining with that. So movement can be a powerful way of connection. And in the same way as you begin to become more refined and sensitive of your energy body, you can begin to follow the experience of the energetic connections in the same way through that same connection sequence, right back ultimately even into true nature. It's just a matter of refinement. So a lot of what we do in the way of nature is that process. Uh, then 
having gone through those those seven levels, you can finally get to the point. And again, this takes a bit of time after you've established a good connection to the other seven levels. Then you can begin to work with the emotional and mental bodies. And the emotions that you begin to have around a particular experience in nature, or the thoughts and ideas and memories that begin to arise around a connection to nature, uh, can be a valid part of the entire process of connection. Because those emotions are arising in part stimulated by the stance of all the other nine, the other seven experiential fields and our emotions and our thoughts that arise in combination with the connection are often wonderful ways to take a deeper dive into connectivity. But it takes a little bit more skillfulness having established a stronger ability to be totally present with each of the other seven fields first so you have a good foundation. Otherwise, you could very easily get distracted by thoughts or emotions and get kind of carried off and sort of think about what grandpa did the other day or what, uh, what you've got to do with the kids tomorrow or what happened to you, to you last week and so on and so forth. So it takes a bit of discipline to develop remaining precisely with the emotion or the thought that's arising directly from the connection in nature that you're experiencing like a connection to water. Is that hopefully that's clear so you can work with all nine of those fields and have them be a partner that helps to stimulate being completely in the now. And the moment you begin to become distracted from the now, you have the beauty of that flowing water to carry you right back into its uniqueness of this present moment. It's a fantastic practice. And you will go deeper and deeper and you will ultimately bond with nature at a level you can't even believe if you've never done this kind of practice. Uh, some meditative systems uh, put a lot of stress on this kind of thing. And other pleasures, which I won't show here. Closing off all the fields of perception, all the senses. Saying, I don't want to be distracted by anything. I want to have just be in pure consciousness. And that's a good thing. Then you begin to discover how uh, distracting, especially the mind can be, or the emotions. But <clears throat> what we recommend in the way of nature is you begin by doing some of that practice sitting in stillness and silence and space, very still body, a very uh, kind of open and relaxed um, mind and uh, a very silent kind of uh, mind and speech. And then finally connecting with the inherent spaciousness and vastness of your true nature. It's possible to do that directly and, and very simply right from the get-go, but you soon dis discover in most cases that there are many kinds of distractions that begin to come up and make it difficult for you to remain in that space of space of clarity, light, and deep connection to the true nature aspect. We call these distractions, but actually if you turn that whole process around and you begin to analyze and take a look uh, at the distractions or so-called distractions, they're all based on the nine experiential fields. If you embrace those distractions and you embrace being uh, connected with 
the distraction process itself through the nine experiential fields, meditative practice, then what was once a distraction becomes a focal point for meditation and ultimately for liberation. It's a very different approach to the meditative process, but it works. And another beauty of this process is when you meditate like this, with all of nature as your partner, you bond with nature. You begin to feel the feeling of you and nature being one. You are no longer a disconnected hominid, not living as part of a vast interwoven ecosystem that you're part of the family of. So it becomes a gateway into a more ecosystemic type of awareness and consciousness, a more truthful consciousness of really where we human, humans are in our journey through life on this amazing planet. It opens the doorway for initially connection, profound connection through each one of your senses and your experiential fields. And then you emerge from, from that being deeply enmeshed in the whole family of life itself. It could be an extraordinary journey. And maybe a, a life survival type of journey that we need to embark on as a species right now to become more responsible members of the family of life. So all this is a little bit about presence. So you can take that just with one aspect of nature. We tend to work with the wood element, like plants, flowers, trees. You can work with the fire element and the beauty of a candle. You can take a candle and meditate with the flame of a candle. Or you can work with the setting sun or the rising sun if you've received some training in that, because you have to be careful about making sure the eyes are protected. And then um, you can work, of course, with the earth element. Take those shoes off, get the rubber off your feet, make an authentic connection with the earth. And then you can go through the entire connection sequence just by the contact of the, of the body with the earth. And then finally, you can embrace the, the wood element or the, the metal element represented by stones. And in uh, and, and Crestone, we're lucky to have these ancient meditation seats made of stone. So we can go out and be with each of those stone seats any day we would like and make a connection to the stone people, as we call them here. That's an old Native American term for the rocks. And then finally, uh, the metal and stone element give birth and tend to feed and generate, as we've mentioned in earlier teachings, the water element. And the water element, of course, we've just discussed and how that can be experienced as a beautiful way to drop into now. But you can work with each one of these other elements. We usually add in, in addition to those classical five from the Taoist system, we add in the um, elements that we use a little bit more in the, uh, one of them in the West, the air element. And then, uh, and of course, you can work with the air in the breath. I mean, one of the most common meditative practices is following the breath, noticing it going in and out. But here you can also really track it going in. Where does it, how, how deeply can you follow it into the lungs? How deeply can you follow the oxygen contained in the air into the lungs? Can you feel the oxygen being exchanged and passing into the circulatory system and permeating the entire body? Every time you exhale, can you follow that CO2 coming back into the lungs and then back coming back from the bloodstream into the lungs and then back out the nose into the atmosphere so that you become a partner with the air? And you go through the connection process just through every breath that you, you engage in. Fantastic meditative practice.
and the same thing would be due, true of the of the space element, which is is given a lot of emphasis in the Tibetan tradition of the elements. And the space element is, uh, of course, the vastness of space that really holds all the other elements in itself. So the practice there is to really become aware of, it's easiest to work with the sky initially and see the clouds in the sky, or maybe it's a clear sky, and just connect with the, the boundlessness of the sky and just become one with that boundless, um, vast, unchanging, almost infant nature of, of the, you might say, the sky-like spaciousness of the sky. We normally get caught up in the blue of the sky or maybe some of its qualities, but we rarely pay attention just to the quality of vast and infinite spaciousness. Now space is a beautiful, it's a beautiful doorway to drop directly into source itself because the nature of source is very much like the sky. In fact, it's often described as sky-like awareness. So when you go through the sequence of working with all these different elemental aspects that nature provides, and it's also within your body too, your body is nature, what a doorway, what a fantastic uh, gift that is. So I thought uh, maybe we'd <clears throat> take a short um, pause here and, and I'd like to do two things. Next one is to see if there are any questions that you might have and you can pass those along to Sandy. I'd be glad to enter a few of those. And then I thought we might do a very brief uh, practice with maybe the water element as an example or something we can work with here in a, to get a little sense of how you might actually do this practice of being in the now, being totally present with each one of your perceptual fields, your experiential fields. But if any of you have any questions about this first, let's do the questions before we do the practice, because the questions are a little bit mental activity. So anybody have any, anything? Hi. Hi, everyone. If you have a question, if you go under participants and under the, the drop-down menu called more, you'll be able to raise your hand. And so I'll know to call on you with questions. <clears throat> or simply unmute yourself and speak up. But yeah. it's easier if we do it one at a time. So does anybody have any questions today? Mm. I guess I could ask a question. And this is Avril. Hi, Avril. Go ahead, please. Uh, so you talked a little bit about um, how the process of going and cultivating the perceptual fields gets you, you know, often to bond with nature to kind of like strengthen the the relationship mm -hmm. um do you see that as ever possibly becoming an obstruction in going to that more spacious state because you kind of don't want to let go of that bond very good question uh all of these experiential fields can be a source of connectivity they can be a doorway or a channel when you really integrate relaxation and presence with each of those fields, they can be a channel or a conduit right back into your true nature if you, if that's really your intention. Uh, but what stands in the way very often are attachments 
or um, or fears, diversions, uh, which stand in the way of having an authentic connection. If you had an experience of drowning, maybe as a kid, or you, you had to be pulled out of the water, you almost died in a lake or something, or a river or something of that sort. Maybe when you're bonding with water, some of these emotional memories come up and they become a, a source of fear and, and panic. That's quite a word, isn't it? Fear of pan, panic. But it might come up and, and begin to become a blockage for you. So in the same way, you can have something that you really like in, experience, in one of your experiential fields. Uh, some of us like chocolate. And you could easily become attached to, well, I just had a wonderful taste of that chocolate cake. Uh, now I want more. And that thought, that movement out of being really present and not really being relaxed, being caught up in a anticipatory desire can become a blockage which prevents you from really dropping into deep, pure presence in the now, total nowness, and in a deeply relaxed state. So any of these avenues of the nine experiential fields can be avenues which bring up the fundamental uh, blockage aspects of attachment or aversion. And of course, as you know from the Buddhist teachings on this, the attachment and aversion are the, like the two wings of the emotional body in its contracted state or in its shadow, caught up in its shadow aspect. But both of those aspects, those two wings of uh, uh, attachment and aversion, depend upon being ignorant. It's often said that ignorance is the root issue. So ignorance itself is ignorance. When I first came across that, I said, ignorance? What's that all about? Well, of course, it's ignorance of something. And in this case, it's ignorance of resting in your true nature. Ignorance in resting in, in the truth of the vast, infinite, spacious being that you truly are at the deepest level. And so you get caught up in wanting that extra chocolate or running away from uh, that memory of, of almost drowning as a kid. I mean, those are two extreme examples, but there are many, many uh, more refined, minor examples that, that flutter our being and which distract us and contract us and prevent us from really engaging in a real connection with, uh, with nature and, and having that uh, connection with nature be a, a, a support in dropping into pure nanas. Is that clear? Yes, thank you. Sure. Thanks for the question. That was a good question. Uh, and does, does anyone else have a question for John before we move on? I, I do. This is Susan Fish. Hi, Susan. Yeah, hey, John. Hey, I Susan. want a little more explanation with that. In other words, I think I understand what you're saying is from the, an experiential feel that one is working on in a, as a, a meditative tool. Right can find that experiential field you could be like you're talking about the chocolate you could be grasping for more of it yes in other words that that moment in time you're putting some sort of a um 
emotional stance on it. I like this moment in time. I want more of it, or I don't like this moment in time and I want less of it. And, yeah. and because one is doing that, you're no longer in that moment of time. Right. You're in the moment of either being adverse, caught in aversion or caught in uh, uh, desire. Desire, which is taking you away from that specific moment. Is that what am I understanding? Yes. If the desire is carrying you into something you want in the future, then you're no longer in the now. You're no longer present. Right. If you're fearful about something that is not happening right now or happened in the past and triggered a, a process in you that comes up now because it's a fear from something that happened in the past, then that's an invitation actually to utilize the fear or the desire as a doorway to drop into the now through the contraction that arises. Now, before you can do that kind of level of practice, you need to, it's, I recommend developing the capacity to be completely in the moment in a very simple, pure way, which is why we really recommend one-pointed meditative practices in the beginning so that you learn how to still the mind and remain one-pointed in your awareness. Um, in many of our trainings, we, we start with a, a book that the Dalai Lama translated, did a, did a beautiful job <clears throat> in um, pointing out some of the stages of meditation, which are, are fundamental to accomplish some of these stages first. So we learn how to master being distracted and being one-pointed and being able to completely still and relaxed and distracted so that you can with something yeah. in the now and then once you become good at that then you can transfer that ability to going deep into the nine experiential fields especially the first seven and actually i recommend starting with the first three that i mentioned before um sight sound and yeah. touch and then move on to the others and then once you've done that, you can begin to work with the really challenging ones, which are the emotions and the thoughts. Because they truly arise in the moment also and manifest in the now. The real issue is... But the emotions, can I ask you a question, John? Sure. Yeah, the emotions come from uh, either a, a memory or an awareness of the past, wouldn't it? Isn't that... that? In other words, if I'm sitting there looking at a stream and I'm enjoying the the sunshine on my body is that because there's also a memory of that heat of the sun is is joyful and thus it's sort of bringing me back a little bit or is that still keeping me present moment in other words everything that i enjoy is also reference to a past so i know i like it do you know what i mean i sure do yeah in that case uh it's really a question of are you able to be with that emotion in a pure sense in uh -huh. that, that referencing something from the past or some expectation about the future if you can be with that emotional quality in a pure sense in the now then it can be a doorway to connectivity uh -huh. but if you're caught up in some past event or some future desire then of course or future fear it can be well, real so again, that's why refinement and regular cultivation is so important. And in the way of nature, we embrace the experiential fields instead of deny them. At the, once we've developed a good one-pointed awareness, which does work best when you simplify things to make it, that's why meditation posture is supportive. That's why being alone someplace in a retreat center is helpful.
Many of the Vipassana retreats, as you probably know, are done where you do your meditation practice in a space where there's just a, a white room. The windows are even often closed, so it won't even be a touch of air touching the skin to distract you from being completely with the the practice that involves the breath and the, just the scanning of the body from head to toe. And once you've done those kinds of practices, your capacity to be one-pointed is much stronger. And then you have the ability to transfer that ability into the nine experiential fields and then you are no longer a distraction. They're actually a doorway. And as I said before, because you're meditating with nature as your partner, they establish a profound experience of being deeply connected to the rest of life as a beautiful side effect or, or I don't know if side effect is the right term, uh, a beautiful consequence of the practice is not only deepening a connection to true nature, but also entering into an experience of truly being part of the family of life experientially, uh-huh. which is vital these days for our survival as a species. But that's a great question. Thank you. Beautiful question. Yeah. Any other, any others? Uh, I, I don't want to go too much past our time. And I, uh, my thought today was to have a, a teaching on, on presence in relationship to nature. And then <clears throat> from that, just do a little bit of a practice together uh, of the kind of thing we've been sharing today. And then conclude our time together with a silent meditation where we just rest in, in open awareness, in clear awareness. So we've, we're, we've just reached about around one o'clock. So I think maybe it's a good time, unless there's some other questions. Anyone else like to? No, there aren't any other questions, John. Okay. So let's... Uh, take a little step into something uh, a little bit different. And I, sometimes when you're first learning how to refine a being present with an, a perceptual field, it's helpful to do it in the context of um, uh, simplifying some of the other fields so you can really focus on the one that you're emphasizing. Uh, so for example, uh, by closing the eyes, it's easier to focus on what you hear and what you feel through the touch of your feet and the touch of the wind and the air on your body. So let's, let's close our eyes and uh, sit upright. And I think before I've gone through some of the keys to a good meditation posture, but part of this uh, is really visualizing yourself being beautifully aligned vertically with a central line through the core of the body, which is often identified with central channel in the more esoteric energy cultivation systems. But just think of it as a plumb bulb that comes out of the crown of the head in the center back third of the head and goes all the way down through the neck and the whole body, keeping it completely erect. So it's almost as if this plumb bulb or skyhook is holding you upright. And as it holds you upright, you can feel yourself established clearly in the base of your pelvis. And I recommend doing this in bare feet, all of these practices, if possible. And feel down into the earth through wherever you're sitting. If you're not outdoors and you're indoors, uh, 
feel it going through the building that you're in, into the earth, and have a feeling of kind of welcoming that grounded connection with, with Mother Earth, and then feeling that pillar-like quality rising up through the core of the body and rising into the heavens, which holds the upper body erect. As you do that, do a gentle rocking from the pelvis, backwards and forwards, do you find the point of balance where you're not falling forwards and not falling backwards? <clears throat> now do the same from side to side. I'm getting distracted by a little elf peeking over Rick's shoulder. <laughs> and uh, find that center point where you're perfectly balanced and centered. Now do a tiny spiral, either clockwise or counterclockwise to center in on that point of perfect balance. And you should find a kind of a point of great ease where you're neither falling forwards or backwards. You're perfectly centered. And from that point, you can uh, get a little feeling of the breath naturally flowing in and out of the nostrils. And we'll do a, a very simple practice in a few moments here. Now just get us, bring a little of that smiling energy we talked about last teaching session. Into the, into the mouth and then bring that smiling energy up into the eye area and then finally into the crown of the head. And just very gently do a brief body scan down through the whole body to the feet, relaxing everything and being present with everything as you go to establish relaxation and presence authentically in yourself. Just take your time. I won't guide it. Just take your own time where you need to go. Make sure you notice exactly what's happening in the body. Relax into any area of contraction or tension. Just release it gently. Smile into it because you're really being friendly with nature closest to you, your body. And you can go all the way to the soles of the feet, then very gently come all the way back up again, maybe going a little deeper this time. And feeling again all the way up through the legs and the pelvis and the lower torso, all the organs of the lower torso, middle torso, chest, front and back, shoulders, arms, hands and fingers. And then of course up through the neck into all the intricate little muscles of the face, the muscles of the cheeks, the lips, the nose surrounding the eyes, the forehead, all those muscles that we used to express. Just giving them a chance to relax and release. And then finally the, the scalp, front and back, coming up all the way through all the follicles of the hair to the crown of the head. Very, very gently. And feel the body down instead of Perfect ease, relaxation, and openness. And now for a moment, uh, pay attention to, the, to the, the visions that you're seeing behind your eyelids. There's usually some colors, swirling colors, or maybe a stable color behind the eyelids as you look. Your eyes are still seeing something behind the closed eyelids. So just be with that sight of what you're seeing. 
this case, you're seeing the nature of your eyelids, among other things. And start following that back into a deeper level of yourself so that the colors that are being seen behind the closed eyes are really one with the nervous system and the and the entire experience of perception of vision itself, the experience of vision itself, going all the way from the core of the brain on out to the visual aspect of the colors that are being seen. They're really all part of one thing. So see if you can follow the sense of the colors you see behind the eyelids. Follow that back into very deep level, follow the experience of the color back into deeper and deeper levels of yourself. Let's just see where it goes. Follow it through. So you feel really connected with the colors. They're part of you after all. Enjoy that sense of connection. Enjoy that sense of communion. And maybe even notice that uh, the experience of the visions that you're seeing behind the closed eyes are manifesting in kind of a 360 fashion. For just a moment, open the eyes and look out and see with the entire eye, with the whole eye, the far right and the far left and the way above and the way below. So you're seeing with the entire field of vision with the whole eye. Now do the same thing, feel the natural connection with everything that the whole eye is experiencing and follow that back into, into the eye itself and back into the nervous system and back into the deepest levels of perception of vision. And then finally into the pure awareness itself that holds the entire visual experience. And just rest there with that. Experience as one unity. If the eye tends to notice a few details here and there, that's fine. They're just things that are arising in this larger field of whole vision. And just gently bring the experience back to the whole field of vision. Everything within the field, not one particular thing. Now close the eyes again, gently. And again, take that whole field of vision and rest in it behind the closed eyelids. In this case, you're seeing whatever colors are authentically manifesting behind the eyelids. And again, feel that sense of whole vision as a kind of basic unity of vision within yourself. And notice that it's arising from a state of absolutely pure, pristine consciousness and awareness. And for just a moment, rest with that for just a few moments. Just enjoying the awareness that holds the experience of vision. Notice that you, if you're totally present with that field of, of pure vision, the capacity to be completely in the now in a very relaxed way supports the clarity of the vision experience and helps open the doorway to your true nature, true source nature. Now gently shift your attention to something else, 
the sound of my voice, whatever sounds are taking place in the background of where you are. And just experience the sounds very gently, joining with you. No longer see them as something that's separate from you, but see them as something that is arising within you. There's no separation between the outer sound and the inner sound experience. And notice the sounds coming in from different directions and different sources. And the kind of a natural mandala of sound, some very subtle, maybe a refrigerator in the far background humming, maybe the sound of my voice, maybe the sound, the bass sound that underlies the sounds in the ears, kind of a, for many of us, a high-pitched background sound. Just fear, experience all of these different sounds coming in as a something you're connecting to, deeply honoring, embracing, and relaxed way, totally open to it, and totally present with it as it changes from moment to moment. Be with the precision of how it is precisely in the moment. Now follow that back in to this vast field of pure awareness that supports this present moment-centered experience of sound. And just for a few moments rest in that state of openness and clarity of pure awareness. Now shift your attention to touch. And again, pay attention to the feet on the floor or on the earth, <clears throat> connected down into the, the beautiful gravitational love affair gravity provides with Mother Earth. Notice in addition to the touch to the feet, the touch of the clothing against your skin, the touch of the air, maybe touching wherever your, your body is exposed in the face and the hands, the arms maybe, the legs, the feet. Now feel these connections of the feet on the floor the air on the face and the body, and feel these as, as gentle connectivity experiences of deep connection with the atmosphere, with the spirit of the wind, gently touching you here and there, and this beautiful connection down deep into Mother Earth, through the sole of the foot. And notice you're moving from an experience of connection into an experience where it's hard to separate yourself from being bonded with the earth through the feet and one with the atmosphere surrounding you. And you go into a state of communion, totally present, totally in the now. There never has been any other thing and you have no idea what might arise in the next moment. And it's not worth paying attention to that.
it's going to come by itself. You don't need to worry about it. And now go even a little deeper into a state of unity through all the kinds of touch you're experiencing now, the touch of the earth, the touch of the wind on the skin, the touch of the clothing on your body. And just enjoy that experience of unity through the experience of touch with nature. And just for a few moments, rest in a state of natural open awareness out of which this experience of touch arises. Now move very gently while you're experiencing this wonderful dance of touch arising from the field of pure awareness. Now allow the experience of sounds to join into that. So you're experiencing both sound and touch at the same time, rising out of that same field of pure awareness and consciousness. And just rest in both the sounds and the touches and the connectivity in the now. It's totally in the now. Nothing else has ever existed. Nothing else will exist in that experience of pure, pure now and this. And enjoy the dance of these two fields in the play of pure source. Now embrace even the visual aspect. You can gently open the eyes if you'd like. Reconnect with that sense of the vast field of pure sight. See the field of everything, all the form aspects that make up sight as one visual field. Connect with the sense of sight itself and all these things that are seen being completely connected as one kind of entity within yourself. You're deeply connected through the sight. And at the same time, there's openness to the sounds and there's openness to the touches that are happening simultaneously as well. If the awareness moves about a bit between the three fields, that's fine. Just let it move naturally. But always return back into the pure awareness that's the foundation and to pure presence and knownness in a relaxed, open state. Now just rest in an open awareness state with all the visions, all the sounds, and all the touches dancing as the display of your true nature. And just relax into that. It's going to take care of itself. You don't have to worry about what's, what's going to happen or what has happened. It all naturally arises. Now just rest in that open, clear awareness for a few moments. And we'll conclude the meditation with a just a relaxed, open, dropping into that state of pure consciousness, pure awareness.
letting the experiences of the sounds and the touches and the visions come and go as they would like to. But just staying with that clear, open, luminous, spacious beingness. And do this for about five minutes. I'll send a little gong to mark beginning this, and then I'll send it again to finish. Okay, so you can just gently bring the experience of resting in that natural state of open being. You can carry that into your normal daily life. Just um, allow it to integrate naturally and as effortlessly as possible as you move back into the flow of whatever is next for you. During this beautiful day we are having. Great to spend the time with you. It's wonderful to see all these beautiful faces. Thank you so much, John. It was wonderful. Thank you, John. Yep. Great. Well, thanks for showing up. It's been really nice. Have such a wonderful group and see so many. Wonderful friends and students. Thanks, John. Wonderful. Hey, John. Thank you, John. Uh, thank you.
Blessings to you, John. Thank you, John. Thanks. Thank you, Sandy. Appreciate you. Yeah, thanks to Sandy for getting all this, all the technique there for this. It's uh, it's very challenging. For sure. And thank I love you thank very you, much. John. Thank you. Love thank that you. guy. Thank you for sharing the guy with us today. Yeah. Thank you, John. Yeah, great to see you, Susan. Yeah, wonderful. Please give a hug to Daniel. I will. I give two hugs. Okay. <laughs> I, would, I would just like to take a moment here just to end our recording, and then we could all talk and say goodbye to John a little bit more. Um, So thank you everyone for joining us today for John's online teaching on presence. Again, I'd like to remind you if you'd like more information about John Milton and the Way of Nature, please go to our website, wayofnature.com. This online teaching will be available video recording at vimeo.com forward slash way of nature. And it's also available as a podcast with Spotify and Google Play. Just search for our Way of Nature podcast channel. And thank you all for joining, and it's been wonderful to see everyone. All right, uh, be well and have moments of joy, pure joy in your life. Thank you. Bye-bye. <laughs>